okay. Even if he cheats, maybe it's just temporary. Okay, let him be. The kind of a small woman kind of thinking. This is Mount Difficulty, the podcast about life, its challenges, and how we face them. Usually people around you, they will say, if your mom has it, chances of you having it is quite high. How did you first know that something was wrong? Okay, this has to start way from my so-called marriage staying together life. This is Noreen. We've known each other for many years, but like so many of the people who orbit through our lives, you can be friendly with someone without really knowing anything much about them at all. I first got an inkling about her life and her experiences when we went to grab a bite after class at the yoga studio where we both volunteer. Noreen's day job now is as a hairdresser, but she told me that before she made her midlife career change, she used to work for many years in the nightlife industry. By the time she was in her 30s, she had worked her way up to owning a bar popular with Japanese expats who had come after work to sing karaoke. She also told me about her past relationships and how their disastrousness left her happy to be single in their wake. In addition to her varied personal life, Noreen also had to deal with her fair share of family and health issues. When Noreen was in her mid-twenties, her mother was diagnosed with stage 3 breast cancer, which resulted in her mother getting a mastectomy. Later on, that experience would foreshadow Noreen's own cancer diagnosis. We were together, but my partner doesn't want to have children. So it's like, of course, I get myself pregnant and he doesn't want it. And then I have to go for abortion, you know. And then the second time when I got it again, I decide, okay, I cannot have so I did this twice. And then, of course, with all this ongoing, the gynae back then will put you on um, contraceptive pills. So I've been taking that for like more than 10 years. So I think that is the reason why uh, it causes the lump to form. That's something you kind of feel intuitively or the doctor told you that? No, intuitively. Because it's like I've been taking that contraceptive pill for like more than 10 years. And then out of the blue one day, I went to a TCM to, because my menstruation becomes lesser until it becomes so less. So I felt it's like something is wrong. So I went to visit a TCM. A traditional Chinese Correct. practitioner. And the lady asked me, what have I been taking? So I told her the medical history and then she was like shocked. She said, you have to stop. Something is wrong with, already wrong with the system. So I stopped and then, uh, how to say, move on with life, stopped and then took some uh, Chinese medicines. And then it's like way many years after that. So one fine day, I found a small little lump on my left breast. Then, I, you know, when people find out we are like, we don't want to face the truth. We don't want to acknowledge. So we just, I keep checking and then it starts growing, but still don't want to visit the doctor. Like fearing to find out, I guess. Just don't want to find out what the hell it is. Because, I mean, women's boobs are kind of like lumpy anyway. 
How did you know that this was something different? It's like it felt like a small little bean, like a soya bean size at the beginning. It's like the whole thing is like lumpy, big big patches of lumps, right? And then suddenly you feel this small little round thing, hard, but uh, no pain and nothing. So you, I'll just leave it, and then. Because way before that, when I have look, when I visit the gynae, he also told me you have to check your breast. He educated me to self check most of the time, so that's why I I check myself most of the time. That's why I found it, but I didn't want to acknowledge it, and I let it be there for like half a year, and it start growing. How old were you at that point? Ah.、Uh, Two thousand seven. It's like forty, forty over, and that's when my mom got hers when she's past forty too. Actually, I grew up in a family of five. My parents are still around. I have two sisters, so I'm the eldest. And how to say? Um, our family, when we were young, we were not taught to have close bonds because we are not rich. No, how to say? My mom has both my parents. They have to work. So when we were young, my parent, my mom works at home. Okay, doing small little sewing jobs or metal wire twisting, and then we will like help her. So when I turn. Thirteen. Once I turn sec one, secondary one, my mom decides. Okay, they are big enough. They can take care of themselves. And then she just ventured a business with her brother, and she moved out to stay in a on top of the shop house where they run a small cafeteria below. Daily, we don't have to take care of each other. Just take care of ourselves. That's it. And my dad is a taxi driver, so he drives at night. So it's like we barely really see each other and sit down and talk. We don't. So we are like not really close. And then when she turns forty herself, which is when I'm coming to my late twenties, she starts. She was diagnosed with breast cancer. And then she felt okay. I need my children now. <laughs> so everybody has to come home. And be with her. So at that time, I was like not very used to it because we are left. I mean, so used to being alone, independent. So when she comes home,、uh, she wants us to be there for her. At first, it was a struggle, but anyhow, she needs people to help her cook this and that. So I tell her, okay, I'm giving you a month. You have to get well soon. <laughs>、mm. So so that I can pass everything back to you and I, I move on with my life. It's diagnosed at stage three, and then during that era, how to say,、uh, resources were not as advanced as now. So straight away, she has to do mastec. She has to cut off her breast, and then she was like, "I went to the gynae with her." So when the gynae announced, "Okay, stage three, you have to do the operation," and I'm like standing behind her, telling her, "Do it, do it, do it." So you took a pretty 
pragmatic approach to it. It was kind of like this part of your body is diseased, just cut it off and be done with it. Correct. Even until now, I still have this mindset. When it starts growing, uh, growing until it was like quite big, maybe about three cm. So it's like totally jutting out. Oh, it became visible. Yeah, visible. Just like looking at, like sometimes I wear a t-shirt, you can see something is like jutting out from here. So one fine day, uh, I feel okay. I need to go have my pap smear test. So I went to the polyclinic did the pap smear test, and then just out of curiosity, I asked the doctor, what do you think this is? And then she is like, <gasps> shocked. She said, what? Since when has this been this size? And then she told her nurse, quick, uh, contact the SGH, get the fastest appointment available for her. She has to go there fast. And then that's when everything starts uncovering itself <laughs> so you went for the scan and then scan, they said correct. they confirmed it was a cancer mm. and then i have to cut and then i was so like not willing to do the operation so i why fear i guess it's like what am i going to do you know why how and why me kind of questions all over the head but what was the, the fear about? Was it going to be a complete mastectomy? or Correct. Just... She totally, she gave me, uh, I wasn't given any choice. The only choice I was given is like, okay, you have to, I have to perform mastectomy on you. And then one choice you have to do is uh, either you choose to do reconstruction or you just sew it up. For the one breast, not both. Mm, one. So she said, if do reconstruction, I guess she said for you, because you are young, I would recommend that you do it. But if you choose not to, then you are, you'll be on your feet after a week. But if you choose to do reconstruction, uh, then you will have to rest for the next three to six months. Only this choice I was asked to give a decision. What did you decide? So of course, I think because my mom did back for my mom's case, during her time, there is nothing so-called reconstruction. No choice. Only cut, sew, and that's it. And, you know, for so many years, I've been seeing her. She have to put on the artificial gel, like breast lightning mold. So I find it's so troublesome taking in and out daily. And every time you change, you have to remove, you know. Then I think, okay, reconstruction may be a more convenient choice. What are they reconstructing it with? Are they taking fat from other parts of the body or is yes. it an implant? So they will check you. If your tummy is big, if there's muscles available on the tummy, they will use that. And then if there isn't, then they will use the muscle on the back. Oh, that's why it takes so long to recover. It. Correct. Um. It's the recovery of the aesthetic. It, they call it the aesthetic part. Actually, breast... Mastectomy only takes 20 minutes to cut and sew. Reconstruction uh, took almost like 8 to 10 hours back then. How did you talk to your mother about this? Did you manage to 
talk about your experiences and give each other some kind of support or did you still have that kind of distant relationship during that time uh no more distance relationship but i i already moved back to stay at home so we were like we are okay it's just that um me still thinking i don't need her support I can get on with my life on my own and face this on my own. In terms of emotional support? Uh, Financial? During, okay. During that, how to say, my mom has brought us up to be independent emotionally and, if possible, financially. So when I got this sickness, the first thing that come to my mind is the next six months I cannot work. How? Money-wise, um, what am I going to do? What were you doing at that time? Oh, I'm still in the... Uh, I was... What am I doing? Oh, I just started my hairdressing career at the age of past 40. <laughs> so you had quite a late change Correct. career. All then- my life, I'm working in the night in a pop. So you, you worked in the nightlife industry for, for a long time? 15, 20 years. And then you switched over to hairdressing, and then right at the beginning of your career, you get diagnosed with breast cancer, which Correct. means you can't work for like, half a year. So-called, no because income. the doctor says you have to rest for at least three to six months. And so I say, no, I think I thought no income for the next half a year. What am I going to do? So, of course, I sit there, worried, cried. And my my mom saw me. She came up to me and said, Why are you so sad? I'm here. Then I'm like, Oh, okay. I can depend on you. Still question mark in the brain. So, before I go for my operation, I spend most of the time with her. In the morning, we will go out for a walk. That is the, the first time we actually... I actually felt the bond with her. Wow. In your 40s? Yes. So it's like I start to open up when we walk in the morning. Every morning we will go for morning walks. So she will do her exercise. I will do my walk. Then that was one time. There was one day, one fine day. uh, After exercise in the morning, we walk home together. And then I told her, I say, okay. Next week is the operation. I need to um, do, I have a list of, checklist of what I should be doing. So I tell her, I plan to do this, 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 this. And then she say, good. Good that you have things in mind that you want to do. Do it. You let me know your decision and I'll be standing behind you. So you just do whatever you want. So that is the very first time. How much did that mean to you? A lot. Because all the time, the way she brought us up is like, okay, you are on your own. You're big enough. Don't depend on me. And I still remember during my teenage time, sometimes, because my mom don't stay with us, right? So sometimes I want to talk to her. <laughs> so when I call, there was once when I call her, I say, mom, she said, what? 
don't call me now, I'm busy. And then she just hang up. She just hang up the phone on me. And then that's the time when I feel okay. I have a mom, but no one to talk to. I cannot talk to her. So, okay, fine. So since teenage until um, like quite an old age, maybe until even after 40, I have problem talking to people, talking out. Maybe this is why that slam on the phone just shut me off from talking to people. And I have, I realized that I have a problem expressing myself most of the time. When I'm so, I'm always so afraid of people asking me to, you know, tell them something, elaborate on something, I have problem speaking. Has that started to change for you? Yes, a lot now. What triggered that? Um, I still remember one incident. I have, uh, my friend recommend me to go for this uh, work, weekend workshop called Trauma Releasing Exercise Technique. So in this two days workshop, we actually learn to shake the body, to shake out whatever trauma has been hidden in deep inside our body. So upon the second day, with the first day, we learn how to shake. And then when the second day, we have to do uh, like the course mates, we have to partner in twos. And one will be the therapist and the other be the patient. So when I was the patient, I was like shaking on the floor with the therapist, so-called therapist sitting beside me. Then I was like shaking and I felt something coming up from the tummy up to the throat and then it got stuck there. So I kept shaking and the course instructor was like passing me by and then looking at me. I was like looking at him in the face. So I shook, shake, shake, shake. And I felt something stuck in the throat and then came out like a sudden release. So once the, once I'm finished, the instructor told me, I felt there was something stuck in the throat, difficulty in expression. That's what he said. And then the therapist, the guy told me, what happened to you? I felt so, I can feel a lot of fear when you were shaking, like a lot of fear pushing against him. So that's when I realized, yeah, maybe I have, um, yeah, all the while I start to realize why I have so much difficulty in talking mm. to people. I don't really talk only to people who knows me, then I can talk freely. But nowadays, I think I can talk pretty easily, I feel. <laughs> um, to go back to your operation, after you had the operation and the reconstructive process, how did you relate to your body after that? Did, it, did anything change? Mm, okay. I feel I'm the kind of person, if something is bad, just cut it out. <laughs> cut it out because there's still other parts of the body. So your approach or your view of what was going on with your mother, you applied to your own self. Correct. Okay, so you were consistent in that regard. Yeah. <laughs> but I think this mindset of mine, I, I need to change now. I cannot be cutting everything out. Right. You know, so. Um, Did you 
kind of grieve your body or your femininity? No. Eh? To, to be surprised if I think back now, until now, I don't really feel that I'm short of something. Mm, yeah. So it was just kind of like, okay, operation done. I'm patched up. We operation done. Okay, from now, what I should be doing to maintain, you know, my health so that I don't step into that kind of shit again. I think I must have met you for the first time maybe fairly soon after your um, operation. Ah, no. Actually, my... Okay, going back to this. My first time uh, when I was diagnosed, it was in 2007. And um, I thought after the operation, even my doctor says, the chances of relapse is only 1% because you are at stage zero. It's just the beginning. You don't need chemotherapy. You don't need anything. Just cut, take medication, and that's it. Observe yourself for the next five years, and we'll see how it goes. So I'm the one, so lucky one, even that 1%. I got my relapse in 2011. That's, oh, it came back? Yes. So in 2011, I found another lump at the, the area, same, breast, same the- breast, the incision, the place where they cut. So when I found it, it's like, I tell myself, ooh, I found another lump. Okay. My thinking is like, okay, next appointment is next week. I shall wait till then and talk to Dr. Tan. <laughs> so I went in. She said, Bilian, how are you? I said, no good, Dr. Tan. Guess what? I found another lump. She's like, <gasps> come, let me check. So she checked. She said, okay, because you have a history. So that small little thing, we have to remove it and check what it is. And then get yourself dressed. See you uh, few in a week's time. I said, okay. Was it easier the second time around? Easier. It's like uh, day surgery only. Oh. Mm. Just cut and do biopsy. Was it cancerous? It is. Were there other knock-on effects to your health? Uh, no. It's like, okay, diagnosed with still the same uh, zero stage. But this time, because it's the second round, I have to do radiotherapy. Luckily, no chemotherapy. Just radiotherapy and then five years of uh, medication. You experienced early onset menopause. Was that related to the... Correct. It was the five years uh, medication uh-huh. that I feel is that that one stops the the menstruation. How was that experience? To be honest, I'm quite okay with it because ladies having period is so troublesome. And, you know, when we practice, it's like, okay, menstruation, cannot practice. Um, so during that time, I'm like so into practice. You don't want to stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I see it's like becoming lesser, of course, it disturbed me because chances of getting womb cancer is another issue. So that, that was another concern. 
getting womb issues with the womb. So when the, my menses get lesser and then eventually stop, but I still have sensations of bloatedness. Um, if I count the dates, it's like, um, should be the menstrual period. So before that, I still do get bloatedness in the uterus area, which I feel weird. Bloated, but no flow. So I go back to the gynae and ask my doctor, my breast doctor, and say, is it normal not having period and still feel the bloat? She said, yes, it's normal. Did you have any of the other symptoms that come along with pre-menopause, like hot flashes and mood yes, swings? Yes, I, I do. I do have all that. And um, maybe it's because for yoga practice. So I do not have emotional issues. So once the flush comes, it, it comes usually during the night in my sleep. I'm like sleeping halfway and then suddenly I feel, Foom. it's so hot and I'm, I'm sweating like mad. So I'll just, okay, this may be one of the symptoms, the menopausing symptoms. So I'm saying, okay, I'm hot. Switch, just switch on the fan and cool myself down. So you found that um, ending that chapter of your biological life was kind of a relief? Mm. You were okay with that? Yeah. Um, I feel like you're such a next-level pragmatic person. <laughs> <It's>, what? <laughs> you hear about these other people that for them to lose a breast and then to lose their reproductive capacity, a lot of people, I, I feel, go through various stages of grieving, like their loss of womanhood in air quotes. Okay. But I, for you, you're just kind of like, <laughs> it was fine. I didn't need I, it anymore. <laughs> I think maybe because I do not have a partner. Yeah. Yeah, I do not have a partner of the opposite sex. And that's the other thing. You're also one of the most happily single <laughs> people I've ever met. I mean, you seem to genuinely relish... <laughs> Being single, um, is that kind of a right characterization? Mm. Maybe, maybe because of um, unhappiness that is caused by my past marriage and relationships. I feel it's so, how to say, it's so tired to feel heartbroken, to feel like suddenly this person is with you and then the next moment he's gone. That kind of uh, coming out from that kind of a syndrome feel is like so tiring and exhausting. And I feel one day I feel, I just feel, ah, I don't want it anymore. Then, of course, at the beginning, I feel myself weird not having, like, seeing people being together and then I'm alone. But gradually I feel, yeah, I'm fine with it. Like, it's so, it's so much freedom. I don't have to worry about how the other person thinks. You know, when I want to do something, go anywhere, I just go. I don't have to even have to ask, can I? Can I go? Can I do this? Can I do that? I feel that's such a troublesome thing. Your previous relationships, you felt like you had to seek the other person's permission? Yeah, not really seek. It's like, even if I don't say anything, I go somewhere without that person, I feel, I have that kind of a feel bad. Um, thinking, ah, what's that person doing at home? I feel bad. Should I be going back home soon? It's like doing something and then the 
the heart, the mind is like thinking of the person back home. But at the end of the day, I go back. That person is not there. <laughs> Sometimes I feel myself, why am I thinking so much? Did you ever get to a point where you consciously chose singlehood? Where you just said, I'm done with relationships. I don't ever want to go down that road again. I am happily single. And I'm going to stay that way. Yes, there is a point of time that suddenly out of the blue one day, something just come up to my mind and say, and realize that, yeah, I think this life, I come here as a human being to learn to be, to learn how to be alone. That's, that's when I, how to say, agree, come to agreement with myself that I'm totally fine being by myself. Did that come with a sense of peace or acceptance? You didn't yes. have to struggle with that? I didn't have to. And then now, when I see my mom and my dad quarreling with each other and then she starts complaining about him, I'm not looking at them and I think, about myself, I, I feel so lucky being alone. And I always joke with my mom, so how? <laughs> and sometimes she'll complain to me about him. And I say, it's your own choice. You chose it. Do you still get pressure from family members or friends or people who question that choice or think you need to do something else? No, no more. Earlier, when I'm in my 40s, on and off, no, my parents, uh, when I turned 40, when I went home to stay with them, they already, um, agreed that, acknowledged that this person, this girl is going to be alone. How did they know that? They, they witnessed my broken marriage. <laughs> mm, and the suffering that caused? Mm, no, actually, they have no idea what I've been through until now. So you were with that person for the better part of a decade. So it sounded like a very tumultuous relationship. Mm. What was the final straw? At that time, I still, like running away, still didn't cross my mind. I still, it just didn't cross my mind. I just stayed on until like I have enough of fighting. I feel so tired. And then one day he say, okay, I need to go away for like over a weekend. I won't be coming back. Uh, like he say he has an event somewhere else in Malaysia. He needs to be away over the weekend. So I'm like, during that time, I realized yeah, he's going to be away. Okay, I'm fine with it. I shall go back home to stay with my mom for the weekend. And then weekend passed. Monday, he's supposed to be back. I went home and realized that guy is not back. And when I realized that he didn't come home on Monday, like, I just feel that, I just feel a sense of happiness, relief that he's not back. I can go back home. I can go back home again to stay for a, another day. So this feeling made me realize that actually I don't need this relationship. Why should I be in, you know, why I ask myself, why am I feeling happy? So that's when I feel maybe I should plan a runaway. <laughs> Do you have any regrets about that relationship or that period of your life? Regrets as in 
actually to be surprised yeah until now i feel i don't feel i only feel that this may be something i have to go through i always tell myself oh maybe it's my past karma maybe past life i've cheated on him that's why this life i i have to come back to repay okay so as far as possible i try to make the separation um how to say as how, i don't need anything from him to be as uh how to say at ease for him as possible as much as i can i don't want i don't need anything from him i don't want any money from him so just cut and you know clear that karma and then move on are you in contact with him still no <laughs> mm. do you have any regrets about terminating the pregnancies not that no because to think financially i don't think i am strong enough to uh, to bring up uh, bring up children so come back to that if i think it over if i have children if i have a kid with me i think i may not have a chance to step into yoga you know having all those responsibility i think life will be maybe different i think a lot of people maybe i don't know if it's an asian thing but a lot of people seem to view marriage and kids as almost like an insurance policy for your old age yeah that is one thing i feel also you shouldn't i feel like even if we have children we shouldn't impose that kind of um i feed you now when i grow old when you you know when i grow old you have to feed me back that kind of thing does not work i feel like expecting something from another person will lead to um disappointment mm. most of the time because if i'm able to bring the person up properly but who knows who can justify what is proper mm. right um like expecting somebody to take responsible of my life when i grow old it's like so not so how should i say there is no guarantee to it never never a guarantee to anything mm. What do you think is going to happen to you when you get old? You mean now? Yeah. Mm. Do you when envision like old? a golden girls kind of retirement scenario with your girlfriend? <laughs> <laughs> golden girl. Yeah, maybe. Not um not the luxurious kind, but be very casual and happy. Mm. Just grow old and die happily. Yeah. Actually, my life is like very messy. If I think back, well, it's almost like you've done a complete one hundred and eighty degree three hundred sixty. I feel <laughs> because now you're 
you know, early to bed, early to rise, doing your yoga practice at like five, six in the morning, going on meditation retreats, like silent <laughs> retreats for 10 days at a time. You don't smoke. You barely drink. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what happened to you? <laughs> I think it's because of the cancer. Really? Yeah. I still remember, how to say, after when I got it, I was still, before that, I was like drinking, smoking. So when I was diagnosed, my doctor say, you have to stop smoking. So I, I thought, yeah, okay. I just decide which day I have to really stop it. Mm. So I bought myself one pack of cigarette. That time, the night business has stopped. So I drink. If I want to drink, I have to go to a friend's shop. So this day, I decide today shall be the last. <laughs> I just go visit her, drink, sing karaoke, smoke, until she close her shop. Then I say, okay, the remainder of the cigarette, give it to you. Today is my last. And that's it. Of course, I, have, I go through a period of cold turkey. <laughs> You know, but um, it, it's because of my health, the operation and things like that. I have to tell myself to totally stop. So that was your wake up call, I mm. guess. Mm. Wow. And then, yeah, after operation is like eat healthy, work out, exercise, exercise, must exercise, that kind of thing. And then my mindset about, okay, this part no good, cut it away, that. This is also a practice of no no love for myself. Really? That's how you look at it now? Ah, uh, yeah. Ah, this one no good. Cut. Throw. You cannot, right? First, you have to take care of this piece of thing. Your body. Yeah. Yeah. Just last time, it's like, no, just indulge in what I want to do. Mm. I don't care what it will, how it damages everything. Mm. So you feel like you care more for yourself? Yeah. Do the correct things, not do things that I want to do. A lot of people think that the things that they want to do are the things that are good for them, though. How do you distinguish? Yeah, that is why. Mm, like I say... What is good for me might not be good for you. Mm -hmm. So you just have to realize. For example, drinking. If you drink and off drinking, the next day you wake up, how do you feel? Do you still want to do it? <laughs> but well, we it still, depends how much you drink. I think. Right. <laughs> and most of the time, we still repeat. People will never learn. Human beings never learn. Mm. That's why we are always going going round and round, repeating the same thing again and again. Mm. Because like it or not, spirituality is part of human, uh, what human beings have to do eventually. Ah, uh, you think so? Yeah. You like it or not, you have to go that way. Why? Mm. Sometimes people move on with life effortlessly because, uh, it doesn't mean that they are not spiritual. Maybe their way of thinking is clear. Uh, 
the word spirituality also, it only work for those who are totally messed up and lost. Mm-hmm. If people who think proper, <laughs> they are actually already spiritual. They don't have to use that word because they are not messed up. Ah, okay. Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. We use the word spiritual because we are all so messed up. So we need a word to differentiate the things that we need to we have to do or we need to do, I think. So people who have their lives in order, who have good relationships with their family, are kind of moving through life smoothly and happily. Mm. They're that way because they have some kind of inherent spirituality. Correct. Mm. Makes sense. But they just don't label it as such. Yeah. Interesting. I feel it's such because I've come across people, they have no religion, they don't do any practice, but when you talk to them, they are totally at ease with everything. And their point of view in their life, it makes so much sense. Who have you met like that? I have a few my of my clients. Like... There is this pair of guys, so they come to me for haircut. One is super cool. The other one is like changing job every month, like every other month. Mm. So every time when he changes a job, he stays, he joins a new company, it's always unhappiness. Mm. So he comes to me for haircut and then we also talk. And then sometimes I say, it's not the problem with the company. I say, don't you see the cyclic... uh, how to say, it is happening in cycles. When you join a company, whatever you're experiencing in the old one, it's happening here. It's happening again and again and again. Don't you find that it's like so tiring? The problem is not with the company, it's in you, I feel. And then this friend of his, we ever go out, three of us, we sit down. And the way this guy talked to the friend, when they talk to each other, I feel the other one makes so much sense. (laughs) And I feel he he has no practice at all. And why is this person like so... He can't understand what he wants in his life and he's doing so well. So I find, yeah, basically he's already spiritual. Mm. He knows what to do with himself. Yeah. Mm. I never thought about spirituality that way. Mm. It's interesting. Yeah, because you always like to put labels on it like religion. Oh, this person is that. Yeah. That person is this, you know. And somebody with no religion is not spiritual. Mm. That's not the case. It's not the case. Yeah. Sometimes you see really staunch religious people are the people who are the most stuck saying things to people. You shouldn't be this, you shouldn't. You cannot. (laughs) Yeah. What you think is right for you doesn't work for that person. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you are messing them up because you are telling them, you know, when people, you, when you tell them you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, they become so disturbed. Yeah. Right. You're yeah. messing up their life. Yeah. So I think that's the last thing that we should do, messing people up. Thanks for listening. 
For more information about the people featured, feel free to check out the show notes and social media accounts accompanying this episode. Even now, I wouldn't say the agony is totally zero. Now, I, at least I know how to press the stop button. <laughs>